I'm so excited to be doing this. I'm so excited to get to teach on this proverb. Uh, today is July 28th, um, so naturally we're in Proverbs 28. And the verse um, that we're going to study here is Proverbs 28:13. So Sammy, can you throw that up? Uh, this is Proverbs 28:13. It reads, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall obtain mercy." So we look at this verse. Obviously, I'm going to teach on confession, right? Yes, I'm going to teach on confession. Um, and that might conjure images of, you know, dark cubicles with priests on the other side and, and a lot of other scary stuff. Um, what I really want to talk about today is power and power in the kingdom of God. And I feel like this verse points us to that. And that's why I want to talk about that. Um, one thing that's really important to know, humans were created to be exceptionally powerful beings. This is true in the scripture. And it's repeated time and time again. In fact, in Genesis, um, one of the very first things, actually the very first thing after God creates us. Let, let me show you in this scripture. This is, um, this is Genesis uh, chapter 1, I believe. Um, it says, this is when God is creating man. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. So the very first act that God takes after he creates us is to bless us with authority and with power. So this says something about our purpose, about our mission on earth. It is to act in power that is given from the Holy Spirit. One point I want to make, um, God wants us to operate in power. This is, this is part of his purpose for us. But one of the things I think is really important to know about power in the kingdom of God is that it is never taken. Power in the world that we live in is often taken, but power in the kingdom of God is never taken. It is always received and given. Um, and so that's something that's unique and different about power in the kingdom of God. So when you think of power in the images, the worldly images that are conjured in your mind, um, generally you're thinking of power that's taken we remind ourselves that power in the kingdom of God is given and received. It is never taken. So what do I mean by power? How is confession related to power? Um, I want to break down this proverb to, to show what I'm talking about. Um, and what I'm going to do is there, there are five Hebrew words in this proverb that I think are really, really important to revealing what is going on in the scripture and the wisdom that Solomon is trying to impart on us. So I'm going to actually look into the Hebrew. And just Jake did this last week, and I, and I want to explain why we do this. First of all, the scripture in its English is sufficient. We don't need to color it. We don't need to change anything. It is sufficient. But it helps us to actually look at the Hebrew because language is not a one-to-one -one translation. Uh, one word in Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean one word in English. Um, and especially when we look at the Proverbs, um, they have this structure. It's, you know, line, line, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so the translators had to be sort of efficient 
when they translated from the Hebrew uh, to the English. Um, so looking at the Hebrew and the context of those words in the culture in which they were spoken and written really helps us to understand what was meant by this, by this word of wisdom. Um, so the five words um, that we'll look at in this, in this scripture, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall obtain mercy. So we're going to focus on conceals, prosper, confesses, forsakes, and then that shall obtain mercy. Um, so the first word, the word for conceals, the Hebrew is kasar. Um, it literally means to cover over. Um, it, it's not like to, to keep hidden. It's, it actually, it, it implies this act of putting something on top of. And in scripture, in the, in the Hebrew scripture, it's used kind of in two ways. Now, the first way it is used is to describe God um, and God covering things. So we actually see it in the story of Noah, when God covers the earth in water. Uh, we see it in the story of Exodus, um, when, the, when the plagues uh, are, are pronounced upon the Egyptians, that the earth is actually covered in locusts and in frogs. Um, we see it uh, in the Red Sea. When the Israelites are crossing through the Red Sea and the Egyptians follow behind them, God covers them with water. Uh, we also see it um, in the context of a cloud. So when the tabernacle is constructed, um, God descends on the tabernacle and covers it in his presence. So we're, we're aware of this covering of his presence. Um, it also is the same way when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, that the cloud of God descends and covers the mountain. So in the context of God, this word kasa displays immense power. I mean, we're talking about the story of Noah where God literally wipes out the earth. I mean, it's just this immense act of power. Um, the other context that we see it in is in the context of man. Um, one of the most notable uses in, in the early scripture is actually when Noah, um, Noah gets drunk and he is lying down and he's naked and there's this shame associated with that. And so his sons actually cover him uh, with a cloth to, to cover his nakedness. Um, we also see it really often in the scripture to describe a woman covering her face with a veil. Um, and so it's usually actually, it literally usually describes a, a, some kind of a textile being used to cover something. Um, and I think when you read that, you sort of recognize um, kind of the futility and the vanity of it, right? Like when Noah's nakedness is covered, his, his nakedness does not go away. His body does not go away. Um, it's still there. Um, it's so fascinating. This, this wasn't planned, but the, um, the call to worship, Psalm 32, uh, that Michael chose, actually the first verse uh, in Psalm 32 is, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. And it's that same word, kasa, whose sin is covered. So that we actually see the power of God wiping out, blotting out, covering our sin. So that, that's what this word conveys. It conveys um, this, this power of God covering. Um, but it also shows us that we don't have the power to cover and remove and blot out our sin. First um, John uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. I won't show it, but I want to read it to you. This is a really important verse. Um, 
John writes, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So two things here. First of all, when we try to cover our sin under our own power, we're essentially professing that we don't need the power of God to cover our sin. We make God a liar. And part of the reason we make him a liar is because God's system of justice requires forgiveness. So a lot of times when people read this verse or say this verse from memory, they actually forget the and just part. They say God is faithful to forgive us. No, no, God is faithful and just. It is in God's system of justice to impart forgiveness on us. That's God's way. That's the way he set things up. And I think that's really important to be reminded of. So I want to move on to this next Hebrew word for prosper. Um, this is a fun one. Uh, so the word for prosper in Hebrew is saleach. And what that means, um, it does mean to succeed, but maybe not in the way that you think of it. Um, in the Hebrew, it literally means to come mightily, to push forward, to rush upon. In fact, there's three uses that I think really convey this meaning we all know Samson, right? The story of Samson. He had the hair and he just wielded this tremendous power. Well, this word is used to describe when the Spirit of God rushes upon him and he has this tremendous strength and he wipes out all these Philistines under this power. So that word, saleach, is used to describe the Spirit of God rushing upon. Same thing when Saul was actually anointed king by Samuel. The Spirit of God rushes upon Saul and Saul is given the power to govern. Um, same thing with David. So when David is anointed, the Spirit of God rushes upon him, and he is given the power and authority to rule and to lead his people. And so what we see here is there's this, there's again this image of immense power of the Spirit of God, right? The power comes from the inrushing of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's really important, right? The power is received. It is not taken. The power is received. So we prosper, we succeed by receiving power from the Holy Spirit. Um, the opposite, we might see, you know, when we look at that, like to push forward, it was actually often used in the Hebrew, uh, to, like to cross a river, like just to, to make the effort. The opposite might just be to sit still, you know, to stagnate, um, to get stuck and do nothing, uh, perhaps even just to be comfortable. Um, Something to consider as, as we continue to work through this. Um, the next word, um, and this, I, I tell you, these words get more and more fun as we go through this scripture because more and more gets revealed. The next word for confesses is yada. Um, yada, literally the primitive root of this word means to throw a stone, to cast a stone, to, to extend your hand in this act of throwing. And what happened was it sort of became this word that would, represent uh, the extension of the hand. So you, the, the word confess, like to point out, to extend your hand and to point to something and say, hey, I, this is what I'm showing you. Um, it's also used in the context of to extend your hands in praise. So this word yada is literally an extension of the hands out, up. Um, one fun aside, the name Judah, uh, the name given to Judah is, is kind of a, a, a modification of the word yada. Um, which means to praise, right? And what I think is really interesting is that when we look at Jesus, Jesus descended from the line of Judah. 
And Jesus was literally the confession of the gospel embodied. So we see something cool. It's, it's kind of a little play on words. It's not really central to the point of the sermon, but I thought it was fascinating. We see that. Um, so, so yada, to confess, to, to throw out your hands, right? So the next word, the word for forsakes is azav. And what azav means is, is literally it's to loosen, as in a tether or bonds. You see it in the Hebrew of literally somebody untying a donkey. Um, and so when we pair that with yada, to yada and azav, literally to cast out your hands and let go. So in the context of sin, the way we can imagine it is literally to throw your sin down and to leave it where it lies. So this is what this scripture is telling us. Um, we're leaving it. Um, it. Actually, in Genesis 2, this, this word is used as well to actually describe a man leaving his father and mother in order to join fast to his wife. So it's this leaving. We are, we are putting our sin down, and we're going to leave it behind. That's, that's an important image, right? So often, when we struggle with sin, we try to grip it, right? We try to white-knuckle it into submission. What God is asking us to do is extend out our hands and let it go. So this final word, uh, this final Hebrew word that we're going to talk about, uh, for it, it's really, it, it represents shall obtain mercy in the Hebrew. It's rachem. Rachem. And I'm sure I'm butchering that, but... What it literally means is to caress. It, it, it's, it's honestly, there's really not a word in English to fully convey it. It is the most gentle, compassionate, sweetest, softest touch that you could imagine. Um, so I think when we first read this scripture without this understanding, it's easy to, to read shall obtain mercy and think of it as a judgment, um, as a, hey, you get to go free. Um, but, but it's not that. And so imagine... Imagine you're in a courtroom, and you've already been convicted. You're actually serving time for something. Uh, but this is your chance to go back to court um, to decide if your sentence is going to continue or if it's gonna, you're essentially going to be commuted, right? Um, and the judge pronounces, hey, you are innocent. What happens? Go free. You go back into the world. Your, your relationship with the judge ends. What this is conveying is that Jesus looks at us and he says, you are forgiven, now come. Extending his hands to us as we extend our hands to him and let go of our sin, he grabs hold, draws us in. I picture the image of a mother holding her child and shushing in its ear saying, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And that's a really important statement because that is what God said to Jesus right after he was baptized. And what happened right after Jesus was baptized? He went out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And of course, he withstood the temptation. And the reason he withstood the temptation was because he was so secure in that identity as a child of God. And in fact, that is the identity that the Lord speaks out upon all of us. And Jesus is the only one who truly believed it. And that's part of why we follow him is we're trying to figure that out. How do I believe that as much as Jesus did? Because that's where his power came from. His power came from his security in his identity as an heir of the living God. And that's something that we have to recognize. Okay, we, we pulled this scripture together. We sort of compiled the Hebrew. Um, now, again, I, I want to 
be clear, the scripture does not need anything from me. But um, if we could take that Hebrew and maybe not have the, the constraint of needing this to be two lines, maybe it would read something like this. When we choose to try and hide our rebellion against God using our own power, when we try to white-knuckle into submission our inability to live the way that we truly want, then we cannot receive the strength and the power that rushes upon us through the Spirit of God. But if we are willing to throw out our sin and leave it where it lies, to loosen that white-knuckled grip, and to lay down our own futility, then God, in an act of divine justice, will invite us into a place of deep and abiding power which comes from knowing that our identity as heirs of the living God is secure. That is what the scripture is saying. We receive power through the identity that is imparted upon us from the Holy Spirit. So how does this relate to confession, right? I mean, confession is a very real thing. You, you saw we went through the liturgical practice of confessing. Liturgy points not to a single act, um, Liturgy in itself, with a few exceptions, is not sacred, uh, but it points to a sacred lifestyle. And what liturgy does is it reminds us of the way that we want to act in order to carry out the mission of ministry that Jesus gave us. Um, so if we look at confession, we, we can actually go back to that scripture, uh, to, to that salach, right? To prosper, to have power. It is literally that inrushing of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is really cool. So in Acts chapter one, um, Jesus has uh, just resurrected from the dead and he's actually still with the disciples. He's staying with them. Um, he's eating with them. He's communing with them and they're loving it, right? Um, and so this is Acts one verse six. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what they're asking is like, okay, you did it. You're resurrected. So the power is going to come back, right? Like this is all done. Um, I love Jesus's response. He, he says, Sammy, can you throw it up? He says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Guys, this is cool. In Genesis, the first act that God made after he created us was to impart us with power. In Acts, the final act that the Lord God made before leaving us was to impart us with power through the Holy Spirit. This is a very significant verse because it shows us what God intended for us after he left us on earth. He left the Holy Spirit to impart us with power. So I think what's important here is to recognize what, what God did not do was say, yes, I used my power and the kingdom has been restored. This was an invitation to participate. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to participate in the power that he has on earth through the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the Holy Spirit in order to have that power. So I want to do one last scripture. I promise. I know this has been a lot. But this, this one, I think, uh, this is a story from Mark. It's from very early in Jesus' ministry. 
that I think really conveys, um, it kind of brings all these ideas together. This is Mark uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 29. Um, it says, so this actually, let me give some context. Jesus has just healed a man uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he actually, after that, went and healed many more. Um, and so, of course, he's kind of got the Pharisees in a tizzy because it was the Sabbath and he did something and he wasn't supposed to. And so what they're doing, they come to him and, the, and it says this, the scribes who came down from Jer- Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul is, is a term for Satan, the, the enemy, the devil. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. So what they're doing here is they're questioning where his power comes from. They're saying, well, your power comes from Satan. That's how you're able to do this. So Jesus' response is, he called them to to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. So the first thing that Jesus does is say, guys, come on. You're smarter than this, right? Like, why would Satan? This is not the way that Satan would operate, you know. Nobody, the house divided cannot stand. He's, what Jesus is reminding them is, Satan would never do this. This is dumb. You, you guys need to think a little more critically. And he talks about binding the strong man and plundering his goods. What he's saying there is, you must first bind Satan so that I can take back the souls that he has stolen from the kingdom, right? Um, so the next thing that, that he says, and, and this is actually really hard, and I struggled with this verse for a long time, um, I think I have an idea of what it means, uh, and I'll, I'll let you know. So Jesus says to them after this, he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So this scripture kind of presents a problem for us, right? Um, we learn in 1 John that whoever confesses his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And yet, is Jesus saying here that there's some sin that's unforgivable? It doesn't make sense, right? And so we, we press into that. We recognize the inerrancy of Scripture, and so we press into that to try to understand what's going on. Um, what Jesus is describing is, is two things. First of all, he is letting the Pharisees know my power comes from the Holy Spirit. So the things that you're saying right now, rejecting that, rejecting that my power comes from the Holy Spirit is blasphemy against the Spirit. That's what he's saying to them. Um, What he's also doing is he's describing, when he says, you'll notice actually in the the verse, Sammy, can you throw it back up? He doesn't say, um, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is never forgiven. He says, never have Forgiveness, And I think that's really important. Um, what Jesus is describing is not an act. He's not describing us saying something nasty about the Holy Spirit. He's describing an attitude. He's describing a way of life. He's describing this mindset that I'm God 
I have my own power. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need to derive my power from the Holy Spirit. I get my power from myself. And therefore, because I am under my own power and my power determines what is good and what is right, I don't need forgiveness. So, of course, I never have it because I never ask for it. So that's what Jesus is describing here. He's describing a state of being, of living in a mindset of, I know I don't need forgiveness because I'm in charge. This is what confession is all about, right? Confession is about us knowing, needing to have forgiveness and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's way is about bringing us through confession back into relationship with him and with the Holy Spirit. God's way is about the Holy Spirit imparting power on us, and God does this through relationship. God is about communion. God is about relationship. Remember Rachem, right? God's desire is for us to be close to him. I think this is a really important statement. God does not love us because he created us. God created us so that he could love us. Very central to the purpose of why we exist is Rachim. God wants to act that way towards us. He wants to be compassionate towards us. This is why he created us, because he had this need, I guess, to pour out love on us. And so what the Holy Spirit does is gives us a voice to understand what the Lord is saying and to be drawn back into community and relationship and right standing with God that comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is not about our power. It's about God's power. One important note. Confession is hard. And confession usually comes with consequence. True confession usually comes with consequence. And when I say consequence, I I don't mean punishment. Don't hear me wrong. Um, God is not a God who punishes. God is a God who restores. Our system of justice is punitive, right? Here on earth, that's how we resolve issues of justice. We punish the offender and we call it just. God's system of justice is restorative. He restores both the offender and the victim. So you imagine that picture of a scale, right? It's not like this, right? God's desire is to restore all creation. Uh, But there is consequence. And if you are the offender, there may be consequence that is painful, right? And I think that's a really important note. We cannot gloss over that because what consequence means is change. What God is inviting us into is an inrushing of power that allows us to change the way that we are living, to step into a new position of power and authority within the kingdom of God. And sometimes that's hard. Change always means friction. Um, I've experienced that friction through confession in my own life. And I'm not going to talk about it here, but if you want to talk about it with me, I'd be happy to share what that looks like. Um, Bringing stuff into the light that you want to keep in the dark can be really hard. Um, But it is an invitation from God. It is an invitation from that still soft voice that the Holy Spirit speaks to invite us into a deeper and more abiding, powerful relationship with the living God. So how do we actually practice confession? Um, Like I said, the the liturgy um, is a great way, it's a great and practical way to declare our need for forgiveness, to confess what we've done wrong and declare our need. 
There are some other ways. Um, just, again, about taking on a posture and a lifestyle and an attitude of confession, of submission, of laying down uh, our power in order to receive. So the first, um, just stop and listen for five whole minutes. That's really hard to do in our world today. Put your phone down. Don't have it next to you. Um, what I actually do is I go on a walk. I, I can't sit still and, and, and meditate. I actually have to make my body busy. Uh, but find a way to just listen. And you will find that five minutes is actually really hard. One minute is hard. But sitting still and listening for five whole minutes is really hard. The voice of the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And what I mean by that is not that you will hear an audible voice. I've never heard the voice of God audibly. Some people have. I have not. Um, I'm not guaranteeing that. But I think one of the things that when we, were, when we are following in the way of Jesus, when we are truly desiring to, to commune with him, there's this thing called our conscience. That's what we call it kind of in, you know, in a secular term. What, what that is, is that's, that's the Holy Spirit in you. That is Jesus in you telling you, here's where you stand apart from me. Listen to that voice. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What does he want to do? What does he want to say to bring you back into relationship with him? Number two, find safe people. Like I said, confession is hard. And it's really important that when you are ready to confess that you have people who are going to receive you. Now, for me, that's my wife and it's Jake. Those are my two go-tos and they're sitting right in front of me. I could not confess the way that I'm able to confess without them. Okay, You have to have people who love you, who are safe, who are not going to reject you when you bring that to them. Number three, practice compassionate self-awareness. Guys, this is so hard. It's so hard for me. Step into a place where you see your own sin, you see your own guilt, and you're able to think, rachem, mercy, compassion, I don't deserve it, but God is going to give it, and therefore I will act in that way towards myself. Because when you're able to do that, your next action will be to go find those safe people and say, you know what, I need to get this off my chest. And the last one, if somebody comes to you to confess, give Rachim. It is so easy when people bring a confession to us to act in our own defense, perhaps if they offended us, it is so easy for us to judge them for what they have done wrong. Let your first act be to give them compassion and let God have justice. Leave it up to him. This reminds me of a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I, I don't remember it from, from memory. But Dietrich writes something along the lines of, once a man has experienced the mercy, the rachem of God, his desire is no longer to sit on the throne of the judge. Rather, he wants to be down with the lowly and with the needy because that is where God found him. Every time I speak that, it almost makes me cry because I understand that. That is where God found me. So if somebody comes to you, remember that. God found you where they are. 
And they need somebody who is going to help them come out of that, to respond to the Holy Spirit and get back into communion with God, which is what they want. It is what God wants, and it is the whole purpose of confession. When we confess our sins to God, he imparts his Holy Spirit, he forgives us, and he empowers us to do mighty works greater than even Jesus did. That's what Jesus said in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that was given to us in this scripture. God, we trust that you are safe and that you love us and that your desire for us is to have mercy and compassion. Give us the courage today, this week, this month, this year, to come to you and to bring into the light the things that we have kept in the dark because they are so scary. Remind us of our identity as children of the living God and remind us that that identity will never be lost, will never be taken. God, we trust you. We commit ourselves to you. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.